can just in its theme. And uh, so what we will be speaking on today are the gods of this world. The gods of this world. This is going to be a message on superheroes. American superheroes. Um, let me give you a little history. It's something that God's been doing in my heart for a number of years. I don't know, it may have even started before I came here uh, to be the dean of men, but uh, nevertheless, it was just a sure thing God was doing in my heart with regard to this culture. Now, I grew up, I grew up with comic books. I grew up in it. I did. Haven't been so much in it, you know, in my adult life so much, but as a teen, oh yeah, this was, you know, comic books. I was, I thought that was pretty good. And uh, God began to work in my heart, you know, just wondering if there's, if there's something spiritual here that I need to consider, or if this was just some harmless cultural whatever. And uh, so we would talk about it from time to time. I mean, rarely, once a year or something, something would come up in a staff meeting. And uh, for the last about four years, Dr. Jim, if he was around, he'd say, you know, you ought to, you ought to do something with that. Well, uh, it would require a lot of research and a lot of effort that I really didn't have, wasn't really motivated to do. About, uh, I don't know, four or five months ago, last spring, I missed a staff meeting. I don't know, I was probably teaching or something. I wasn't in the staff meeting, in that particular staff meeting. But uh, next thing I knew, I was on for a fit class on superheroes. <laughs> and I was wondering, who did that? And Dr. Jim caught me and he says, oh, that was me and I did that. I thought you were this time we needed to hear about that. So I was forced into doing the research Early summer is when this was given in the church. How many of you were in there for this fit class? Okay, very few. That's what I figured. And um, so I did the research. If you were in there, this is still going to look quite a bit different because this is the uh, new revised version of that same thing. And, uh, you know, I suppose like my history of civ class, you probably don't hear me when you come in say, I, I don't really have a lot for you today. We'll get through this pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> Okay, you've been there, you understand. Uh, I've got probably way more than we will get through. And so we're going to get started on this. Jeremiah chapter 10. The questions for us as we consider this, and honestly, I don't know your heart, I don't know where you're at, I don't know how you've considered the American superhero culture and what it means to you, but I think you need to know. And uh, in... In just this way, I'm going to throw a lot of things at you, a lot of verses that we won't even have time to read them all. So you may want to jot down references and go back later or have them for your own uh, research or study or answer to somebody who's really struggling in this area. I'm telling you, pastors, you guys that go out there, evangelists, uh, missionary, I mean, all of you, you're going to need to know to give an answer on this. I don't think anybody's going to be impressed in your church if they understood that the pastor's reading comic books. You know what I mean? I mean, that just, okay, I think already we're going, but you might be sitting here thinking, I don't, I mean, what's the big deal? But you know, that wouldn't be very impressive to the youth group, um, you know, for you all to get your comic book resources out and compare notes. So you better get an answer to this, and we ought to get it from the Bible. So Jeremiah chapter 10, and some new things to consider here. Uh, verse 1 Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen. 
And be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed or terrified at them. That would be astrology. For the customs of the people are vain, for one cutteth a tree out of the forest. The work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. Well, they deck it with silver and with gold, and they fasten it with silvers and with hammers that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither also it is, is it in them to do good. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great and mighty. Let's pray. Lord, guide our steps this morning. Make the time sufficient uh, for us to really learn your heart in this matter. Make it clear, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the matter of, of uh, superheroes. I've got a number of premises that we're going to look at. As we do so, let's take a look at a variety of verses. Now, the font may be a little small. You may have to squint a little bit. Deuteronomy 4, 35 and 39. Unto thee it was showed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God, there is none else beside him. Know therefore this day, verse 39, and consider it in thine heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath, there is none else. How many gods would you think there are? Do you know if you Google that, you won't come up with one. There are 33 gods in the Hindu religion alone, 33 million gods, so they claim. That's a claimed. They don't all have names, but, uh, and I don't know that they're all worshipped, but that's the claim, just in the one religion alone. Now, how many over the 6,000 years of Earth's history? How many gods? Are they gods? It is interesting from this passage, and there are many others that we could look at. Isaiah 44 is another passage. We probably won't have time to look at it, but just in this one, how they take uh, the stump of a tree. And Isaiah 44 talks about the same thing. They take a stump of a tree, and they, they cut it up. Part of it they use for firewood, the coals of which they, burn their, uh, they bake their bread on. And the other portion of the same tree, they make a god out of and bow to it. Wait a minute. We burned part of it, and uh, it's gone. And now we're bowing to the other half of this tree stump, looking for deliverance. Right? Isn't that what gods were for? Right? They weren't for entertainment. They were for deliverance. We need to be delivered. You name it, and we've got to be delivered from it. You know, health problem in the family, there's, uh, my neighbor's got issues, the, there's an enemy that's warring against us, there's a famine in the land, uh, my, my, my horse won't be broken, my camel's doing whatever, I need, I need somebody to pray to. And if you didn't have one, you just make one, go get one. That's convenient. You got a rock? Let's go chisel on it for a while, put a face on it and bow to it. And did people really believe that? I mean, genuinely, did they throw their heart into it? Oh, man, we, I prayed. I, I don't know, fasted. I, I'm sure I'm going to be delivered. Wow. All right, so the world says there's a lot of gods, many of the, much of the world. 
And, uh, you know, God says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, clearly, he wasn't giving credence to the fact that there are other gods. We create them. We bow to them. Anything that they have, we, we give to them. Because they, they are nothing. We go on here to... Uh, Deuteronomy 32, I see now, uh, see now that I, even I am he, and there is no God with me. I kill, and I make alive, I wound, and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. 1 Samuel 2, 2, there is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Isaiah 43, are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior, Deliverer, none. I have declared and have saved, and I have showed. When there was no strange God among you, therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. And the, all of these verses essentially say the same thing. You can see how they end, every one of them. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Let's be reminded of that this morning. I know you would have got that right on the quiz this morning. If I asked the question, you would have, oh yeah, of course. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. The gods of this world, Psalm 115, four through eight, reminds us about the other gods. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. You know the passage. And there's other passages like that. Now let me just put something in perspective for you. How smart is it to bow to something that can't do any of that? Wouldn't that make it less of a being than even you? Can't you do all of those things? Then what are you asking it for? Help? Help! If you were drowning and you looked at a, a tree stump up there, would you ask it for help? Jump in here and save me. I need to be delivered. It is kind of silly, and yet how many millions and millions, billions of people die and go to hell serving other gods? How many? A lot, right? Habakkuk, I like this one. What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it? The molten image and a teacher of lies that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake! To the dumb stone, Arise! It shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver and there is no breath in the midst of it. But the Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Maybe we ought to prostrate ourselves before him this morning 
reminding ourselves of who he is in relation to other things that have our attention. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Let me just present this thought. You have been given every ability that you have, every ability, from the Lord, correct? From the Lord. He, has, he created you in His image, much the same as one would take a stump and create it and, and uh, you know, make it in His image. God did that. We are created in the image. You know that word image in the Hebrew is no different than the word idol? Image. You are little images of God. That's why we're rejoicing in the fact that last night you were, you were images to your God. And we ought always to be images. You know, a, a perfect model, really. That's, that's what we're to be. Now, a graven image is, obviously can't do anything. I mean, it's just sitting there, whatever. It's, you know, it says right in the Bible, you nail it down so it can't move, so it stands upright. And, uh, well, that's good. <laughs> do something for me and it can't move. I, I, you know, I would if I could. If I could, okay. So it can't move. Yet we give it attributes. Yes or no? We give it attributes. And we say, well, this God can, can really think through things. Or this God can control the weather. Or this God can... I don't know, this guy just can, can somehow go out and defeat our enemy. I was talking with uh, Dr. Himes this morning at breakfast. He said he was reading some light reading last night, the Babylonian Chronicle. And uh, so he was uh, reading about uh, ancient peoples in Sumeria and, and ancient Babylon, how they would, uh, when they conquered a people group, they would, they would overcome them and take their idols back to their city-state or capital or whatever, and they would, they, you know, they'd put them away because we destroyed those. Uh, these, we overcame those. Now, they didn't, you know, they believed they were gods, but our gods are stronger than your gods if we could defeat you. And we see examples of that throughout the scriptures. You know, with, um, well, t not in the Bible, but Titus, in the Titus Arch, he took the um, objects from Herod's temple back to Rome. There you go. We overcame your God. We're taking the thing, items of worship out of your temple. We're taking them back to Rome, to our capital. And so that, that plays out there. Nebuchadnezzar did the same thing with Solomon's temple and took objects from that temple, objects of worship, back to Babylon. Belshazzar would bring those forth later during a big party. Gods are given attributes. And uh, those attributes, where do they come from? Because those people really believe those those gods had those attributes. Of course they do. Can this defeat our enemy? Well, yeah, he did it last week. Yeah, of course he can. So he's what? I don't know, big. If we made an image, he would be. Oh, you know, and we've got stories. Some of these stories have been uncovered about ancient gods, and these stories are able to do this, and there's great stories of their feats. And are any of those true? Any of them? You know, the feats of the gods, the feats of this chunk of wood. Hello, it didn't move. You with me? None of them are true, but did the people believe them? Oh, yes, of course they did this. Where did those attributes come from? Like attributes, uh, you've got to get this, attributes that a tree trunk doesn't have. 
I mean, the only way that's going to defeat the other army is if the whole army runs right into it and they, they fall down. That's it. Okay. I don't think that's going to happen. Where do they get the attributes? Given, well, who, who's, whose attributes are they? Let me ask you this. Are they supernatural attributes? Why would you create a God that couldn't do any more than you? How could you be delivered by a God who can't do any more than you can do, right? I'll just, you look at that and you say, I'll go figure it out on my own. I don't need you. So this, this thing has to have more than me. Well, how can it have more than you? Unless it's supernatural. Those are supernatural attributes. You don't want to go out and defeat the enemy, so we're going to get this rock to do it. You're not asleep, are you? You still with me? Where do the attributes come from? They're supernatural attributes. Who owns the supernatural attributes? Look there in this verse. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Is it appropriate to take the attributes of God, omniscience, omnipresence, attributes like that, and, and give them to objects? Supernatural attributes that belong to God. My glory I will not share with another. 1 Kings 18 and uh, verse 19. I want to look at, we're going to take a moment, and I'm going to introduce you very quickly to four gods. Four gods that you probably, for the most part, have already heard about, and then I'm going to make an application. So we're going to move pretty rapidly. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel, unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450. And you know what happened up there, right? So that's good. I don't have to go through the story. There was a contest on Mount Carmel, and, uh, you know, Baal... Baal did what? What did he do? He 450 guys crying out to him. How, how did he come through for him? How did it work? Sorry about that. He was asleep or something. So Baal. Here's Baal. That is Baal. It's not a replica. That is Baal. That's about a 3,500-year-old idol, at least. At least to back to the time of Joshua, maybe more. Maybe to Moses. That is Baal. What can he do? Did people believe that he could do? But what could he do? This is Baal. About the same age, this one's in Chicago. The University of Chicago. I've seen it. It's not very big. You know, it's really pretty small. Notice that its hand is raised, and they believe that in that hand, what is missing and not recovered is probably, they think, some sort of weapon. This is a, this is a God that's going to come and get you. He's coming after you. You better do right. And this is an artist's rendition of Baal worship, what it may have looked like. What we do, and what we're willing to do, to try to get that God to do for us. Wow. This is a temple to Baal in Syria. I should say it was, 
and frankly it is no longer because ISIS took this area over a couple years ago and then they blew this to smithereens. So it's not standing anymore for the most part. Uh, that's interesting, Muslim on Muslim, but the Muslims believe in how many gods? You know, one, not the right one, but they've got one, so they believe that polytheism, Baal, would be wrong, and so they blew it up. This is an arch to that temple. This archway right here is the arch to the temple of Baal, a significant temple of Baal, not the only one, but the one in Palmyra, Syria. This is a replica of that arch, but it's not in Syria, it's in New York City. That was erected and dedicated two years ago next week. It is three blocks from 9-11. Now it's interesting, you know, not long after, really immediately after 9-11, people across America seemed open to the gospel. Churches were full and they were willing to listen. Now just 15 years later, two years ago, we have an archway to Baal three blocks. Not a church plant, not something signifying how we're turning our hearts to the Lord. Baal. All right, interesting. Another god, Dagon, pictured here as a, kind of a half-fish god, Dagon. And you know the story, Dagon, uh, when, when they captured the Ark of the Covenant, the Philistines put the Ark of the Covenant uh, next to Dagon. Again, it's, it's our God is greater than yours. And yet, when they walked in the next day, Dagon had fallen over. They set him upright. The next day, he was fallen over and uh, looked a little bit more like that before the ark. Dagon. That's the second uh, god, the ancient god that I'm introducing you to. So Baal and Dagon, and now declare ye among the nations and publish and set up a standard, publishing and seal not, say, Babylon is taken, Bel is confounded. And another name for Bel, Morduk, Morduk or Morduk, is broken in pieces, her idols are confounded, her images are broken in pieces. And that's an image of Bel, who would be renamed and later be known as Morduk. Babylonian God, the time of Daniel, likely the one that Daniel refused to eat and drink to. I'm not going to be involved in that. While other Jewish boys didn't have a problem with that. Finally, Ezekiel 8, so we now have Baal, Dagon, Marduk, and Tammuz. He said also unto me, Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. God says to Ezekiel. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Tammuz, in their own stories of this God, Tammuz, he was the son of a god, and he died. Can you imagine the son of God that dies? No, I can't imagine that. Anyway, this one did. Tammuz died. And the women here being described, who are they? Are they Babylonian? They're Jews. Jewish women are weeping because they believe the story of the, uh, of the God's death. They believe it. So that they go to the temple, they're outside the temple. God's temple here has been completely abominated here. And they are weeping, crying 
over an image and a story that never happened, but they're totally in, and these are God's people. All right, why did I introduce you to those four? Well, here I have a chart. Now, I, I understand. I made it as big as I could, but it's probably not big enough for you to really see much about. But in the left-hand column here, right here, are groups, um, ethnic groups, national groups of gods. So the Mayans here, there are five gods listed right here. Hawaii, there's a god here. Japanese gods, there's several the Anunnaki, Mesopotamian gods, Sumerian. There they are. And uh, Incan gods down here. But I want you to notice four of them. Baal, Dagon, Marduk, Tammuz. Okay, so they made the list. So what? Over here in this column is the American superhero comic book that they were featured in. Did that settle in? The very issue of the American printed, written, printed comic book that featured these ancient gods. Four of which I just introduced you to because they're in the Bible and you, not all of these are named in the Bible, but those four definitely are. Baal is in there. Let me ask you another question. The God to the ancient peoples, were those gods villains or heroes? To those ancient people, were their gods villains or heroes? Were they just heroes or were they super heroes? Or were they just criminal and vain and nasty? I mean, we know they were that because the people who created them that way. How do you create something that's not you, you know? And so they create gods like unto themselves. They make all these stories of, of uh, great feats that they've done using attributes that they don't have, that they borrowed from the only one who does have those attributes, right? The only one who does have those attributes. We're going to borrow from his glory to give to this object the object that God created, actually, true too, and make up stories about it so they will all believe it. And now, what are we doing in America? How are we doing? You didn't know that, did you? These are the Anunnaki, the, um, some of the gods that have been discovered, Sumerian, Mesopotamian gods, of which some that we've already talked about are a part of. These are also those gods. I want you to notice here, what do you see? Two faces? What would they be indicating, these ancient peoples? What would they be indicating if, a, if, a, if an idol, an image, had a face going this way and a face going this way? What would that attribute be? You can't get away with anything behind that God's back. Do you know a God like that? But there's only one, isn't there? I want you to notice then on, its, on their hats, each one of these four gods... Here, the Anunnaki, are horns, several horns, not just two, indicating their power and their authority. This is page number two of gods 
These are Norse gods, Australian gods, Aboriginal gods. Again, all of the American comic books and the dates, 1962, 63, 1980, 1962, 78, 64. This isn't recent. This has been going on for a long time. Ancient pagan gods in American comic books. Page three. Hindu, Slavic, Philippine, Egyptian, Inuit, Finland, Native Americans, Greek and Roman, all the comic books over here that they were found in. Finish of that page. Turkic, Mongolian, Aztec, Celtic, African, Chinese, Zoroastrian. The oldest date up there, I think, was uh, 1948 or 49. That's before the Korean War. This had already begun. 168 ancient gods in Marvel comic books alone. Okay, how many superheroes are there? Well, according to DC Wikia, DC has more than 10,000 <coughs> characters, all of which are listed in the DC database. Also, according to Disney, Marvel has over 7,000 characters, but, there, but that was in 2010. This author says it has been said in numerous forums that there are over 15,000. That's 25,000 American superheroes. You thought it was just like, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, 25,000. Each one with a different attribute that doesn't belong to them, right? Premise number one, American superheroes bear striking resemblance to the ancient pagan gods. I don't have to make the case. The case has already been made. It started in 49. If American comic book producers, writers, creators, thought that they're consistent with what we're doing multiples of times over the years, well, then they bear striking resemblance. They, work, they fit right in. Nobody thinks anything of it. And what do you think Thor is? an ancient god in an American comic book as a star superhero, right? Now let me ask you this question. If you were, if you were an ancient person yourself, just go back in time, and, uh, but you're a born-again believer, you're there in Israel, you're trusting Jehovah God, and your son comes over and he's got a comic book. Uh, yeah, okay, he's got a comic book, and you look down and he, and he, he said, what do you got? And he says, I, Dad, I just got that from a friend. It's, it's a comic book of Baal. What are you going to say? You okay with that? It's Marduk, Dad. It's cool. Look what he can do. Is that a problem for you, a born-again believer, you know, two, three thousand years ago? I think you go, Baal? But look, he walks over in America today and says, Dad, it's Spider-Man. He's a good guy. Come on, Baal was a good guy. Right? 
Your son takes it back to his friend and says, I, Dad said I can't read that. I, he said something about it, it's, it's bad. He looks at him and says, what are you talking about? He delivers us. He, he grabs the bank robbers. He, you don't understand what Baal can do for us. Premise number one. Premise number two. American superheroes are not the standard of holiness and morality. Just some quick articles on this. Look, if all I mentioned was the idea of immodesty, which comic book could you pick up? Which movie could you view? Just that point alone, just that point alone. Immodesty, male and female. Which one could you read? Which one could you look at? Would you go outside dressed like that? Would you suggest anybody do? It's pornographic, folks. It's not the image of holiness. It's not even to the standard you and I should be wearing. And here they're supposed to be superheroes. They're supposed to deliver us. Look at them. Right? Not to mention that in practically everything that's going on, there's romances. Oh, but it's the good guys. Okay, I'm just saying, that's not the standard of holiness that God has set for us. Just uh, the Comic Book Review is a website. And I put out an article here 2017, last July, so it's a year and a half ago. Uh, not even quite. The title of it is Super High, 16 Superheroes Ruined by Drugs. You know, there's stuff going on we don't even have a clue. You know who's in here? Number six, Captain America. Number four, Iron Man. Number two, Batman. With a synopsis about their drug addiction. You say somebody made that up. No, that's in a comic book issue. That's part of the storyline of that superhero. Alcohol and drugs. And these are the good guys? The Chicago Tribune in 2012, May the 22nd, produced this article, Chicago Tribune, titled, Comic Book X-Men Plans Same-Sex Hero-Superhero Wedding. Two male superheroes were wed in 2012 by Marvel Comic Books. Six years ago. And these are the good guys? So we take attributes from God, we give them to something, an object. We make stories about them that are inconsistent with the holiness of where that attribute came from. Seems like a brilliant strategy to reteach America and the world about what a deity really is. It's uh, a couple of years ago, they counted how many, since 2012, how many homosexual superheroes there are. There are now 143. That is, that's a couple of years ago, so it, it's probably more than that. That's the most recent I can find. 143 that came out of the closet and admitted to it in some issue somewhere 
143 American superheroes are now gay. And kids all over the place are reading this stuff. In an article from Time Magazine, The Gospel According to Spider-Man, uh, I'll just skip to the end of this. This is written by an unsaved author, 2004. An unsaved author who's now, who's now uh, deceased and uh, goes on about just what's going on amongst Christian evangelicals with regard to superheroes. All this could just be the church's appropriation of Hollywood salesmanship, luring audiences with promises of a movie and some good talk, Finding a Christian message in secular films like Catwoman and Spider-Man could be either a delusion or, uh, as a critic of in, in Christianity Today says, a way of affirming that God's truth is inescapable and can be found even in the stories of people who don't believe in Him. You see, evangelicals now using uh, superhero comic books and, and videos and movies, and they're showing them and they're, they're preaching from these stories about Superman or whatever, and drawing from them uh, illustrations, much as the parables of Christ. And they, say, they literally say this. This is uh, documented in this book from an evangelical author, The Gospel According to the World's Greatest Superhero. And he uses the story of, spy, of Superman and finds the gospel and ways to come to God through understanding who Superman is. This is what's going on. This unsaved author says, Hollywood doesn't necessarily want to make Christian movies. It wants to make movies Christians think are Christian. Movie makers are happy to be the money changers in the temple, even as preachers are thrilled that a discussion of movies can guarantee a full house on Sunday. That's an unsaved author in Time Magazine. American superheroes make poor savior deliverers. A number of years ago, I was, you know, just, I don't know, studying. I was in the pastorate, and I saw an article that looked something like this from India. And uh, the god Ganesha, uh, it was the, the annual festival to this god, a god of prosperity. And um, this god is carried down into the waters as an act of worship, so that you know, the waters can be helped and, and it ends up being pros prosperous for the Indian people, the Hindu people. And these are pictures of this annual festival. And then them pulling them out of the water later. But these people are all about it. And the point is, from Jeremiah chapter 10, this illustrates that's not a very good deliverer. It looks like you're delivering it. And you've seen these pictures in history of Siv, or you will. You know, Jeremiah 10 talks about they can't walk, they have to be born. Do you see them being born? Why would you cry out to something for help that can't, and then you have to carry it? You have to carry the God down the water. You've got to carry it in the festival, because it can't even move. Not a very good picture of a deliverer. American superheroes take devotion, faith from him to whom it is due. This is a golem. That is a superhero. 
Sadly, it's about a 500-year-old superhero. This one isn't. It's a replica, but this one is. And it's Jewish. The Jewish people persecuted in Europe for centuries, rather than turning to their God, turned to this, created a superhero, a Jewish superhero called a golem, and believed it, believed it, the stories of these golems that they create out of, the, out of clay, and then supposedly came to life and were able to do supernatural things because the Jews were suppressed and oppressed, and we needed a deliverer. And so it's a, among Jewish people, it is a common thing. It's not a funny thing. They, many of them genuinely believed in these things. In fact, this synagogue in Prague, the Czech Republic, is said to have had a golem, the remains of a golem in its attic for the last couple hundred years. And people have gone there and looked for those remains of a golem as recently as 2014. Superheroes. The Jewish people should have turned to their God for deliverance. We should as well. We should teach our children to place their faith and dependence and trust in God. You need deliverance? Don't open a comic book and feel better because a human image can do great things, because we can't. We're pretty weak. We have no strength. Teach them that. American superheroes disfigure the image of the genuine deliverer. Disfigure. I'm just going to run through this real quick. These are two Jewish boys. Here in this picture, they are 18, 19 years old, 1933. These are the creators of Superman. They're Jews. And I don't have time to go into the whole story, but this is the Superman that they created. This is the very first issue. Very first. The very first. It's not even a comic book yet. It's just a pulp, pulp fiction story, January 1933. This is the beginning of Superman. There's the first issue, June 1938. They had sold their rights to uh, DC Comics, which, which was Action Comics in that day. It sold for 10 cents. That's the first issue. And honestly, that Superman was kind of violent and exhibited anger. And actually, I've got an article here that says the 12 times that Superman went completely insane and brutally killed people. Sometimes good guys. That's documented. That's not by Christians, that's by unbelievers. From 1938 to 1947, Siegel and Schuster were paid a combined $400,000, nearly six million today, for their work. That comic book, one of them sold in 2014 for $3.2 million. America is smitten. The question, are, the question is, are you? And I'll finish with this. This is uh, another American superhero that was created by the same two that created Superman. About that same time. The same two Jewish young men. They were 18, 19 years old when they got, first got the idea. They worked on it through their lives. They worked for DC Comics. At the same time, 1935, before World War II, created this superhero. And his name is 
Dr. Occult. And here he is today. They don't represent a genuine deliverer very well. Look back here at Jeremiah chapter 10. Verse 6, For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great and mighty. Let's remember who God is. And let's not get distracted by something that is not him and give his glory, his attributes to others and give any amount of devotion. You say, well, it's just a comic book. It's just, a, it's just imaginary, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the throne of God. Our imaginations, our thoughts are included in this. We ought not to be thinking upon, devoted to those items that are contrary, they're anti-God. They always were that way. You get it quickly with Baal, but then we lose it in this matter of American superheroes. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Let's bow our heads. Now, I wonder why our heads are bowed. I just want to give a quick moment for a decision here. Again, I don't know where you're at. Maybe there's somebody here that does need to make a decision about this based on decisions that you have made and a lifestyle that you've had. Maybe you do need to drive a stake here and say, you know what, I just realized now that's not appropriate for me. Maybe you'd say, you know, that not, hasn't been part of my life, but I haven't understood it completely, and I want to just give myself to the truth in this matter. And uh, so I'm going to make a decision not to have any part of this in the future. Either way, we're calling you to a very specific decision because we've had a specific theme. But if this has touched you in some way and you want to talk to the Lord about it, then I would encourage you to move this morning. As the piano plays and you need to make a decision, you come.